0: encourage you, uh, if you, especially the Christ in the short and steady anchor, um, if you look at that text there, again, um, the, yeah, kids, you can be dismissed, I'm sorry, I should have said something earlier, Uh, if you want to be dismissed, you can, Um, not kids at heart, you have to stay here, Uh, that second and third verse, especially of Christ, the short and steady anchor, speaks specifically to what we're talking about with the whole armor of God. And so I would encourage you to uh, get that that song on your playlist. It's rich theologically, and listen to that song over and over again. You can find it on YouTube if you don't have some sort of, uh, if you don't have Spotify or iTunes playlist or something like that. Uh, But I'd really encourage you to continue to to sing through that song, uh, not just today, but throughout the week, especially since we're talking about the armor of God. Okay, uh, take your Bibles, if you'll, if they're not open there already, turn back to the passage that David read for us this morning, um, that we read together. And I want to just encourage you, um, echo what the other pastors have said, is uh, I would really encourage you to continue to try to memorize this passage. So um, next week maybe you could try. We only have a couple weeks left. Um, we have one more piece, technical piece of armor, and then we're going to spend at least one more week after that. We're going to talk about prayer. Um and perhaps maybe one week after that, I'm not sure. We're, I'm working through that now. But just encourage you um, to memorize that passage. Um, it's difficult. Maybe memory is difficult for you, so familiarize yourself with it. Next week when we go over it, uh, try to do it. Hopefully we'll have a projector. So we had that loaner projector because ours went out, and uh, the, the company called me and said, hey, we, you know, it's really difficult right now to get them because they have computer chips and They're on back order, some of them until January, but he found one sitting in a warehouse somewhere, and it's on its way here, unless somebody steals it along the way. So we're hopeful that uh, that will be, next Sunday we'll have uh, at least a projector, whether or not it will work, Um, that's a different question, but uh, so maybe next week as we go over the text, maybe try to do it without the screen, do it without looking uh, at maybe one of those papers if you have one of those. Try to do that next week from memory, or as much as you can from memory. Specifically in our text, Ephesians chapter 6, this morning, our friend and the general, General Paul, he understands that the life that we live is a life of war. And like any war, there are different battlefronts. For believers, there is the battlefront of our sinful desires, We have this evil guest, as the Puritans talk about, this evil guest that, living inside of us, that wreaks havoc against us, in us, and through us, and Romans, I think it's chapter seven, Paul relates to us, and he says, look, you don't want to do what's wrong, but you do it anyway, and then when you want to do what's right, you find yourself not doing what's right. He calls it like this law of sin. It's talking there about this evil guest that lives within us, or as Fran says, that evil roommate that we have. We have battles on that front, but that's not the entirety, all right? That's not the only front that we're talking about here in this text. It can be part of it, and of course, the evil one uses this and and puts forth his evil schemes in cooperation with our evil guests, with that sinful nature. But there is this other front, and that is the Bible teaches us that the evil one These cosmic powers, these supernatural evil rulers and authorities and spiritual forces of evil are waging war on the people of God. They're waging war on you. And if you think that's baloney, just read 2 Kings chapter 6 where, if you remember, I introduced that to us last, I think it was last week, where Elisha has a servant and Elisha realizes of the great spiritual warfare and battle that's going on. And so he says to the he says, he prays, and he asks God, he says, hey, would you please allow my servant to see what I see? And God answers his prayer, and in 2 Kings 6, uh, it says of the uh, servant, it says this, quote, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant was able to see this battle that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. It's been a lifelong world. It's been, it's been a battle since time began, since sin began. My friends, that battle is going on for your soul. We might not even see it. Let me, let me just give you a quick illustration. I've, I've, I've mentioned this multiple times, but you need to relate to this text. You say, ah, I don't really get it. I like what the old Welsh medical doctor and pastor said. He said it best when he said something like this. He said, have you ever been praying or reading your Bible and he he said he goes, and I mean you're in, really engaged in a time with God. You're not thinking about anything else. You haven't been thinking about anything else. It wasn't like you just did something wrong or you're struggling. With, I mean, you're truly praying and reading to behold and to enjoy Jesus. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the middle of your prayer, you have this horrific, evil, perverted thought. I mean, there was nothing in context of life that would make you think about those, like proximity-wise, but all of a sudden, it just... Was there? You ever had thoughts like that? He asked the question, "Where did that come from?" And so I believe that this old Welsh pastor—I believe he hits the nail on the head when he says it came from what verse twelve described. Yes, we have these sinful natures within us, but the, but sometimes the evil one tempts and teases and, and tries to enrage our our like. Like last week we talked about the one pastor, uh, John Piper, he said, it's like our blood boils with these things, these sinful influences, the sinfulness within us. But he wages war on us even through that. And this is exactly what the battlefront that this general Paul, our friend, is talking about here in Ephesians 6. And it's the war that we face like any other. So we need to wake up. You need to wake up. And you need to understand what's going on in your life. And I want to burn this in your brain. And I hope, I hope some of you roll your eyes at me again this morning and say, not again. But I want this to be burned in your brain, what this old pastor said. He is exactly right when he said, most people do not believe in their heart that life is war. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things. I, stop right there. Do you have a casual approach to spiritual things? If you do... You are not ready. You're not, you're not aware. If you're aware, you're very ignorant of the war that's going on for your soul. Most people have this casual approach to spiritual things, and they believe that we're in peacetime, not in wartime. In wartime, we're on the alert. We're armed. We're vigilant. But where are many or millions of Christians today? They have stopped believing that we're in a war. There's no urgency. There's no watching. There's no vigilance. There's no strategic planning. It's just easy, peacetime, and prosperity. Church, if you don't wake up, if you call yourself a believer and you don't wake up to this war that's going on, you know what you're going to be doing? You're essentially pulling the dirt on yourself in your spiritual grave. Wake up is what Paul tells us. So not only are we to wake up, but the fact is, is that because we're at war, we have to stand and that's what Paul's asking us to do. He says four different times in different ways here that we need to stand when these spiritual attacks come. And the good news that he tells us is here is that we don't have to retreat and that we don't have to surrender. Why? Because it's not a matter of our willpower ultimately. We do have to put forth some effort, but it's not a matter of our willpower or sheer determination. No, we're given the ability, we're given the strength we're given the, the, the know-how, the, the power to what? Literally, how has that happened? Literally, we're given that because it says we're given the strength of his might in verse 10. Friends, you're able to stand in this thing called life. You're able to not give in. You're able to see the darts and to hide behind the shield. You're able to know truth and to fight it off. You're able to know that your emotions don't control you, and that God is still truthful and he still loves you. You're able. Why? Because God gives us the strength of his might, verse 10. That's encouraging. It's not a battle that we fight alone or in our own willpower. Sheer stick to it kind of attitude. In this passage, we are taught about what we are given to be able to help stand what does the indwelling holy spirit what does the scripture what are these things that god gave us god gave us each other all of those those three or four different things that we've talked about that god gave us but what what does he give us to be able to 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 stand along with these things how do we how how, how are we able to do that he talks about this whole armor of god whole meaning sufficient we have everything that we need that's encouraging itself too is it not The armor of God. He held nothing back in some sort of armory for himself, or maybe some sort of armory for the super saints, the super Christians. You know, oh that guy, that that couple, that family, that those kids—they got it all together. They 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 just God's chosen to bless them better, differently, whatever. That's not true. That's not true. We all have the whole armor of God as believers. Every one of us has every piece. And as 1 Peter, 2 Peter Chapter 1 tells us that he gave us everything to know how to live this life in godliness. So be encouraged. By the way, if you haven't heard of those previous pieces that we've talked about, go to our website and you can listen to them there. For today, the next piece of the armor is verse 17, and there is just simply a few words there, and it says, and take the helmet of salvation take the helmet of salvation okay first of all what is the helmet because remember this is all a metaphor for the Christian life you know it's pretty uh it would be pretty convenient for Paul he's sitting there some sort of imprisonment whether it's simple house arrest I say simple that would be horrific for somebody like me house arrest you know uh, or somebody like Paul, probably, who was loved, to tr- was traveling all the time, etc. He's under house arrest, or maybe it was a little bit more than that, a little bit more confinement at times. Whatever the case is, I mean, he had this life-size soldier that he often saw. And so he uses this metaphor, the soldier, and he tells us today, take take this helmet of salvation. Take it up. Now, what is the helmet, and then what does it do? Now, honestly, we don't need a lot of, like, I don't need to give you a lot of stuff to develop this. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory what a helmet is. You probably, all you got to do is think of the movie Gladiator, right? You know, you got to think of some sort, you think of some sort of movie or something, or you've seen pictures, you know, of this. And you see this picture of the old Roman soldier's helmet. Yes, there were different kinds. Some, there was just that kind of the plain, regular type. Um, Some made out of like a hardened leather. Some made out of a metal, that sort of thing. There were fancier ones for officers, et cetera. But the bottom line is, no matter which way you, which, which helmet you're talking about, it was a covering for the head. Something that protected the noggin, right? Something that protected the brain, your, your CPU, as it were, your thinker, your processor. And so how does he, that's pretty self-examiner. So what about, what is the metaphor, what is that for us as a believer? What does that mean for us as a believer? Well, the original language here. Says that's the helmet of salve- salvation, meaning the helmet literally is salvation. It's a genitive of description. So we're to put on our heads, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to put salvation on your head. <laughs> now, doesn't that seem odd to say? Hey, William, put salvation on your head. You know, you're like, okay, where do, what aisle is that in in Walmart? Right? Where, where do I go for that? You know, Whole Foods doesn't have that. What does he mean by? So let's see what he's talking about here. So secondly, first of all, what was it? What does it do? Pretty obvious. Secondly, what does he mean, though, by salvation? What does he mean by this helmet for us as believers? What we need to understand is that salvation has three tenses. What I mean is past, present, and future. Most of us today only think, and we typically only think, of salvation as a past tense event or a one-off thing or this thing that happened in the past. And then we kind of move on. We we say to have we use the language, have you been saved? Have you been, you know, rescue different words, but we think of when we say about that, have you we always talk about, we always ask about it in the past tense, don't we? I mean, typically that's what we do. But salvation is not only Past tense. That's, and this is part of the problem. This is, this is why it's struggle for us to stand, is because we think of it only as past tense. Salvation has three tenses, past, present, and future. And that's super important for us in this, in this uh, war that we're fighting. So I want to look at these three tenses really quickly. First of all, the present, the past tense, Paul says, it's important. It's important to know there's a past tense to salvation. Okay, here's what I mean by that. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 6, verse 11. He's talking to the believers there at Corinth, and he says, and such were some of you. What he had done in the few previous verses, he says, hey, look, some of you were idolaters, and some of you were all sorts of wicked things. All right? And he says, and such were some of you. Now, not that they're perfect, But he's trying to get them to see, hey, look, this is is your life pre-Christ. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified, past tense, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what he's doing there is he's writing to the believers, and he's literally saying to us today, because he preserved this word for us in 1 Corinthians, he says, look, you used to be unforgiven, but now you're not. At some point in time, as these believers in Corinth did, as if you're here today and you're a believer, I know for me, I remember the, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I remember coming to faith in Christ. At some point in time, you understood the gospel and you understood Ephesians 2. You were, you were given the gift of faith and you got, you're like, oh, I, I see and I believe and I understand. And he says, look, that was you, and now you're believers. So there's a past tense, meaning it is important to know that you're a believer. Now, let me just pause there. It's not important, and I have talked to some of you, and I will continue to talk to people from now until the Lord takes me home. It's not important to know a specific calendar date or a specific time on the clock of when you got it. For some people, they don't know when. They just realize, that at some point, they look back, you know what, my faith is in Christ alone. I know that that I can't rescue myself. I know, and I believe it, and I'm trusting in Jesus alone. That's the important part, is to know that you're there. That's the past tense part. So Paul is saying, hey, look, When we put on this helmet of salvation, you need to know, and I'll tie all this again, uh, I'll go over all this and tie it together again here in just a little bit, but it's important to us to know. By the way, that's the way God created us. Because we're made in God's image, we're created with a likeness towards sensible, logical, and intellectual thinking. He didn't create us to be ignorant or dumb, or we want to know, we want facts, we want to be able to rationalize things. And faith isn't irrational. And so one of these, one of these areas of the spiritual warfare is the mind, right? Where this, where this helmet would protect. So it's a good thing to know that you're a believer. That Jesus has already rescued you. Because the evil one, what's this going to happen? He's going to throw doubt your way. But it's, salvation is something that you can know that you have. 1 John John writes in his first letter, chapter 5, he says, I write these things to you. I'm writing this letter to you, believers. Why? He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. As a friend of mine, Daryl, always said, it's not a hope-so salvation we have. It's a no so salvation. We can know that we're believers. And it's important to know. Otherwise, we live this James talks about the man, the double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. I think one application of that is, is, is the person, I think he's talking to believers there, but is the person who, who wonders, am I a believer or am I not a believer? If I'm a believer or am I not a believer? And they're just kind of like the seesaw life. And all that that does is it renders them useless for the cause of Christ. It, re- it renders their spirit. They can never behold and enjoy and pursue Jesus well. Because they're always worried about this. That's a scheme of the devil. And so salvation has a past tense, but it also has a present and ongoing text, tech, tense, a today tense. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 2. The Bible says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, past tense, and in which you stand, currently are standing, and by which, listen to this, and by which you are being saved. Original language is the present on ten, ongoing tense. You are every day being saved is literally how that reads. If you hold fast to the word unless you bleed in vain, past tense. So he ends with a past tense, but he says, which you are being salvation. Listen, you're being saved. Listen, our salvation wasn't just a one-time event. That's not a healthy way to, to see salvation alone. It's not, that's not a, the only way we should see it but our salvation is ongoing, it's every day. Listen, that's what it means in John chapter 10 and verse 28, when John writes, he says, I give, he records for us, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will do what? Do you remember the rest of it? And no one will pluck or snatch them out of my hand. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the every day ongoing that you're secure That you're you're saved every day. That it's not just a one-time thing and you have to wonder if it stuck or it worked. Or you have to wonder if you have to do something else to kind of keep it up or to earn it or or, or whatever. No, salvation, it did happen, but it's continually every day. Every day you're being saved. (laughs) I think about this a lot. I'm thinking, okay, thank you, God, I'm being saved today. Because that sure doesn't feel like it today. I really screwed up today. I really messed up or I you know, there's something going on. I man. No one can take it away, friends. Your salvation is happening every day. And so you're secured in your help, and it's accomplished every day. That's a that's a wonderful truth to know. But then there's future salvation. All right? Now we're all about to get a little bit of Pentecostal in here. There's future salvation. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says this. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, past tense and present, shall we be saved by his life. The English there captures the, the Greek future tense really well. Shall we be saved? My friends, you know what these verses do? as they point out that there's a day that's coming in the future where you will be saved completely. There's a day that's coming where you're going to have tears, but he's going to wipe them away, and then there'll be no more. There's going to be coming a day where there's no more cancer. There's going to be coming a day when there's no such thing as a diet. Isn't that an amazing thing? <laughs> there's going to be coming a day where there's no more such thing as running. Like, to, to, you know, to stay in shape. I'm so thankful for that. I hate every step. There's going to be coming a day when there's no more hurt. And that's what we have to look forward to. We have, you know what, we get to join Dick. You know, we have a day where we're, going to get to, where we're going to get to join Jack and Bob and many others. David, your mom. Where we're going to get to join these people. Because there's a day that's coming when we're going to be, secure, we're going to be saved. It's going to be finished. We're going to be glorified. And so when we read salvation, friends... It's important for us to not think only of the past tense, but need to think about how we're going to be saved every day and how we will be in the future. Okay, you say, well, okay, what does that have to do with the helmet? What does this mean that we're to put salvation on? How does this work? To understand this, you've got to understand what does it have to do with the head, right? Just like the soldier would wear the helmet, so we must put salvation on our head. Okay, the place of our minds and stuff. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying... Protect your mind, protect your understanding, renew your mind with what? With your salvation. Past, present, and future. What does that practically look like? Boots on the ground, right? He's saying here, as that old Welsh doctor, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, he explains it really practically for us. He says this, quote, Christian people are sometimes in difficulties and troubles about particular doctrines in life particular aspects of their faith. But here, with this specific armor, in these texts that we've read this morning, here is something bigger and in a sense much more serious. It is one that tends to become, it is, it is that one, that the believer, that you, tends to become weary and tired and to feel hopeless about the whole campaign itself and its outcome. He goes on to describe in the rest of this commentary through a poem about how a believer can feel that the fight is in vain. That he is wounded and that he is starving and that there is no sense of going on. He just wants to quit. Ever been there? So he's not talking here, I don't think, and I agree with, with Lloyd-Jones. I don't think he's talking about, concerned about understanding particular doctrines and the truths and trying to, I think what he's talking to talking about here is that Our whole attitude and outlook, our view of faith, our personal faith, sometimes we can just grow weary. Sometimes we can want to give up. Now that makes sense because where's the first place that we start thinking through that? Our heads. We start putting two to, man, I keep failing. I keep asking for forgiveness. I keep, I I can't say this person is still in my life. I can't ah, oh, and it would just all of these different things, I just, I'm tired, I'm tired of it. And so sometimes we do want to do what? We want to just let go and give up. Have you ever been to that place in your life where you thought, even maybe said, out well, what's the point of all of this? You know, Galatians, Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says in chapter six and verse nine, a familiar verse he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. Why did he write that? Because obviously there were believers in the church in Galatia that were what? Growing, weary, and well-doing. You ever been there? Are you discouraged? Do you feel like the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 73? The psalmist writes, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant people when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until their death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Their eyes swell out through their fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff. And they speak with, their mal- with malice. Lofty, they threaten oppression. They felt like they were untouchable, in other words. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue, I love this, their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, How can God know? Is there really any knowledge of the Most High? Behold, these people are wicked, always at ease. They always increase in riches. Then the psalmist says something really raw in verse 13. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Ever feel like that? Discouraged? Discouraged? Pressed, downtrodden, you want to give up. Paul captures the same real human sentiment in his second letter, Peter, I'm sorry, in his second letter, chapter 3, it says, now is, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you. Behold, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind because I want you to remember something. Verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and then they will say, where is this promise of his coming that you all are looking forward to? Where is it? Peter writes and he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. You know, if you've never been there in your life, you're either dead or it's coming. It's a scheme of the devil. He will try to distract you from the truth. He's trying to wound you, and he's trying to kill you spiritually through attacking your mind and your thoughts, making you think that you just have to give up, that you can't go on, and that you can't do it any longer. And that is not true. How do we stand in those battles? We put on the helmet of salvation. That is, we protect our minds. We renew our minds with truth. We, we protect our understanding about a relationship with God. Let me show you how this works. Paul was writing to the believers of the city of Thessalonica, and he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 and 9. This is really beautiful. He says, but since we belong to the day, we live in the day that, where we live, right? Let us therefore be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And then he says this, and for a helmet... Put on the helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or whether we sleep, we might live with future, future, him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's it, friends. That's how we stand with the helmet of salvation. That's what he's talking about. So we need to know, yes, that we are believers. It's the threefold thing. I am a believer. I know that he gave me the gift of faith. I know that I'm secure. I know that no man can pluck me out of my hand. This is the doctrine of assurance. The doctrine of, we're, we're gonna, we're, we're safe with God. I know what he's done. I know that he's not a liar. I know that he's all powerful. I know that he's sufficient. We remember those things when those thoughts Those thoughts come, but it's not just that. It's the present tense as well. We recall, we remember that we are safe now. It's a struggle, but no one can pluck us. We're secure and safe even now. And then he talks about, and I think this is the key to all of it. This is the key thing that we need to remember in our minds is as he says to 1 Thessalonians chapter five, he says, the hope of our salvation. You wanna know how to grow, to to not grow weary in well-doing? You wanna know how to, against giving up when you think, what's the point? You want to know how you, you fight the the, miserable, the the hopelessness of life? You remember and you rehearse. You are a believer, you're being saved, and then gloriously you're going to be saved in the future. Something better is coming. And all God's people said, yeah, but we would all say it with much more oomph if we really believed it. I mean, he's, it, I mean, I hope he comes now, but if he doesn't, whenever that happens, someday, can you just imagine the glory that's going to be there? That is beyond, it's beyond blowing mind, heart, blowing mind emoji, right? That would be appropriate here. There's a day when you're going to be completely and finally whole. There's a day when your body will be saved. No more sinful or lustful thoughts. No more giving into sinful craving. There's a day when your mind will be completely removed, re- renewed. No more battles with your thought life. No more th- and, and the evil one, as he lobs these different schemes at us, one of those schemes is trying to get us to be weary and well-doing, trying to get us to, to attack our minds because that's where this stuff starts. I can't do it. Can I do it? I can't do it. I keep failing. And so we start to believe these lies. And that's all they are is lies. Why? Because he tells us he gives us the whole armor. He says that we can stand and we're not doing it on our own. He gives us the strength. Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Do you have the Word of God? Do you have each other? Absolutely. Do you think we just have meals because we just want to have meals because everybody wants to taste their great cooking or not so great cooking? No. Fellowship is intentional for the body of Christ it's healing, it's helpful, it's refreshing, it's preventative medicine. We have all of these things at our disposal. Therefore, we can stand. So, friends, that's what you put on your head. You put on the hope of your salvation based upon the past and the present. But you put on the hope of, the hope of salvation. It's coming. There's a be- I can keep on. You, it, it, I can keep going. Christ helps me. I can do it. I'm not going to quit. And when you do that, when you think about that future salvation, guess what? It won't be comfortable and you won't be perfect, but you will stand because that's what his word tells us will happen. Isn't that not encouraging? So you have a helmet, use it and start using it now. Let's pray together.